Let me introduce uh, very briefly uh, our speaker today, Graham Beckhoff. Um, I'm sure you won't mind me saying to you that he is a former member of the British Army. Um, he did uh, a lot of work um, on what might considered to be some um, rather odd esoteric aspects of soldiering. But he's reinvented himself, um, and I'm pleased to say that as he nears the completion of his doctorate um, here at Oxford, um, he has transformed uh, from um, the, the military mindset, if you like, and somebody who's able to think very deeply, very carefully about some issues which are controversial um, in the very least on uh, not just cyber security, that quaint um, semantic phrase that seems to sanitise the problem, into looking at things like offensive cyber, which is a much more worrying um, uh, kind of issue for us to sort of contend with. And Graham, soldierly like, has taken us on bull, bull with horns, if you like, and say, I'm going to tackle this head on. He's nearing provision, and uh, he will explain to you, I'm sure, uh, what he wishes to derive from this session, because this is a two-way process. It's not a lecture, it's a seminar. We have an option to, I think, to input into the final completed stages of this doctrine he's conducting. Graham, thank you very much indeed. I don't quite know how to follow that, Rob, whether that sort of means that my army career was pretty inconsequential as opposed to what I'm doing no, now, I don't know. Um, uh, what I want to talk about today really is one of the central parts of my DFIL. Um, and my DFIL really, what I wanted to look at was how do states operationalise their national cyber security strategies and what does that mean for the way that states then act in cyberspace and the diplomatic and at the strategic level? Um, I think, uh, and within that, really, one of the other drivers was the emergence over the last five years or so of offensive cyber as a policy tool that states are increasingly willing or stating that they are willing to use in order to achieve not only their aims in cyberspace, but their wider national security uh, agendas and intents. Um, so what am I going to do? And really... It also comes from the existing literature in this space, in that whilst the growing body of cybersecurity literature sort of more books on the bookshelf in Blackwell's, actually more bookshelves required sort of almost monthly, a lot of it either looks very much at strategic theoretical thinking or down in the tactical weeds of doing. What I wanted to try and look at was that space in the middle of how policy that is stated and, uh, and, and um, put forward by governments and states is actually turned into effects on the ground, um, of which there isn't very much uh, out there. There is some work from OECD, there is some work that NATO has done, there is some work that the Global Forum on Cyber Expertise is doing in this area, but most of that is actually wrapped up in the context of, of capacity building, as opposed to uh, putting policy into action. The other thing I wanted to do really, and why the UK's approach, is unashamedly I burnt my black book that I'd acquired over the years in the military to conduct a, a set of interviews across the UK cybersecurity domain um, and, and to look at how the UK's approach, uh, has approach has changed over the years and how, as you will see, I suggest that it is fundamentally different or was when they released the 2015 strategy to what other states were doing. Uh, enough of the introduction. What am I going to talk about? I'm going to give you a short... A little bit on the analytical framework. I think this is important to place into perspective and context the model that we will discuss later. My assumptions, um, how I see the strategic cyber ecosystem, UK cyber strategies, some models, 
some case studies, and I'll talk about two case studies in particular, and then some conclusions. Um, for me as the audience, Rob has said sort of, sort of in one involvement, um, I know many of you will, but I'm very much looking to critique and flaws in what I'm presenting as opposed to uh, saying it's a perfect piece of work and here's your default, which it isn't. Um, the analytical framework. I think I take as my starting position Kuhn's work really and the idea of we're in some sort of revolution in scientific thinking, that we now live in a time of cybersecurity, that our old models, our old security models that the state has employed over the centuries is no longer fit for purpose. A security model based very much on physical actions, physical threats, and actors who were only empowered to do damage to a state at a state level. I'm suggesting that we live in a world of new threats, new actors, they have new bases of power through technology, which allows them to use power in different ways, and actually the model that we have of national security only answers some of the questions and some of the challenges. Um, in terms of building my model and how to operationalise it, I buy, I buy from ecological theory and use the analogy to operationalise it. And really three main things. Zones, and I'll explain these in more detail shortly. Flows and feedback loops and emergent principles. Um, in terms of my data, a set of elite interviews and then document analysis. And really in terms of trying to tie it all together, I very much apply effects-based thinking. My focus is on outputs. It's not the inputs. It's not the technology or necessarily even the policy that drives it. It's what is the effect and the output that is created. Um, one of those very busy slides that really should have been two or I sort of just got verbose and put too many words on it. Cybersecurity for me is simply a competition for advantage between agents that occurs in cyberspace. And it's important at the strategic level because it destabilises a state's national security balance. And it's important to see this in the context of national security. It is not something separate or unique. Um, national cybersecurity strategies seek to readdress that balance. Um, and they do that, and by the sort of phrase from the UK strategy, in terms of achieving security and stability in cyberspace. One of the things I suggest on from ecological theory, though, is that security and stability is not a point. It's not a definitive value or definitive position. It's a zone um, that I call zones of cybersecurity. And really, you can look at it from a counterfactual point and say that these zones are not necessarily areas of security or stability. They are acceptable spaces of insecurity. They are that space in which the state itself and its population will accept a level of risk. Um, these zones are achieved and maintained through positive and feedback negative loops. I'll, I'll diagrammatically explain that. Cybersecurity agents, actors if you like, I use the word agents because that's what's used in, in, in the ecological theory that I've, I've borrowed, um, operate in cyber domains of influence. What I'm trying to get across here is that all the time that they are operating within the cyber domain, they are doing so with a frame of mind and a frame of reference that is based upon their current intent and the context in which they are operating. And that this is fluid and it changes. Okay? A CDI, a, a cyber domain of influence for the United States, 
in terms of its relationship, say, with Russia, is very different in terms of the actors, how it will act in it, how it will seek to achieve effect than it is with Iran. Um, and you can take that down to any level. Uh, and then the final point, really, um, also borrowing from ecological theory, I draw out of the model and my findings um, what are known as emergent principles. Um, and emergent principles really are effects that are created by the interactions of agents within the model that are not obvious when you just look at how the agents themselves act. And I'll talk through those again. Um, two diagrams on here. The top one, really, is how I see the, the cyber ecosystem at the strategic level. What we are familiar with in a lot of the literature is we just see the diagram on the left. And you will see people say, this is a criminal ecosystem, which will talk about the actors within it, it will be, and it's a descriptive tool. What I'm suggesting is that actually there's two elements to this ecosystem. There is the state, the national cybersecurity system in my work, and there is the malicious actors cyber domain of interest. And actually these two are in constant, uh, there is a state of constant in independence between them, and they are in a state of com constant competition. Effects come from the state in the form of security and stability, and they come from this domain of interest in terms of threat and opportunity. Of course, the malicious actor, in this case, um, and actually it doesn't need to be a malicious actor's domain, it could be any domain um, that has a cyber purpose or function, offers both threat and opportunity. And it is as important to recognise opportunities as anything else. Um, just a short thing on the zones of security. Uh, this is a very traditional view of how what balance looks like in ecosystems and ecology. Um, and really the idea is that balance, or the balance that is enough to keep the system stable and secure, exists in this space here. And events within it move it up or down, and external events as well, um, as depicted by the arrows. And effectively what happens is your effects that move in here move it back to, 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 to that state of balance. And if the external effect or even the internal effect that is generated is uh, a significant power effect, um, a catastrophic, a cyber Pearl Harbor perhaps, it may even change totally where the point of balance is by moving it up the curve to a new state of uh, equilibrium. Really, that is, that is how I conceptualise the model and how it sits in and how I make it work within that framework. I'll let you read the proposition. Um, what's interesting, I think, is you look at the dates of these. This is not new. Offensive cyber was being talked about in 2011. In fact, its first use um, that I can find in terms of uh, policy material was before then. Um, was in 1992. And interestingly enough, there is also a paper that was written in 1970, or a Hansard document in 1970 that refers to a debate on computers and data protection that talks about the CIA's activities in terms of manipulating data and manipulating machines, where it's described as them feeding data into what was nothing more than a kitchen blender. 
it's interesting to see how it was viewed at that time in 1971, and actually the problems that are discussed in that work are very still valid today. But what really I, I tried to show by these quotes is a progression, 2011, 2013, Osborne's now sort of very famous speech at GCHQ in 2015, and bringing us up to date in what the NCSC tries to do. So let me put some context in trying to prove my proposition. Um, traditionally, the UK's approach to looking at the cybersecurity issue has not been from a national security perspective. It was driven from the economic prosperity debate. And this arose, came out of primarily Blair and Brown's initiatives to do with the digital economy um, and trying to make the UK the leading state in terms of uh, exploiting new technology. Um, and really, it was only in the early 2000s, probably 2003, and from the literature in Hansard and also from several of my interviewees, what really sparked the UK into moving into a hard security perspective, so a national security perspective, was Titan Rain. And the impact that Titan Rain had, which was an attack that's accredited to the Chinese, elements of the PLA, uh, which is believed to have been an espionage attack that uh, certainly was going on in 2003, widely reported in 2005, and there is some indications that some of the methods and tools that were used then are still actually being used now. But Titan Rain was a kicker for the UK to change its approach. Um, the second one really looks at how it framed it. Early days it was all about information security. It was about framing the machine, protecting the machine in simple terms. Then talked about information assurance, really protecting data, and then cyber security. And then it's interesting when you look at the literature and go back to look at what was being protected. Because we also have to assume that the government looked at this very widely. Actually, in the early years, it was about the government and about key uh, critical national infrastructure. And really, that was military, intelligence, and power. Um, in this period here, it moved really to CNI much more broadly, and there were, there were another number of initiatives with that. Until now, we get to a stage, a position where the government is, it's all about government, CNI, and society. It's about us as much as it's about the critical national infrastructure. Um, government's approach to it. Early days, the government will support, and it did that by giving advice and guidance. Um, it needed to act, um, and it would support that need to act. It didn't do very much in the 2009 cybersecurity strategy, the one that's always forgotten. Uh, whenever people talk about the UK, the number of strategies it's had was all about trying to prepare, prepare the ground for the need to act and recognise that something needed to be done. Um, the 2011 strategy, really, the decision was taken in the 09-11 period that actually the best way to achieve this uh, was to let industry lead or taking another view that was expressed to me it was because there was no money to do anything else apart from to let industry leave. Um, so the market led. And I think probably many of you who read the material now will know that that was not seen as a successful way of doing business. And the 2015 strategy talks about it in, many, in, in a number of places, but actually recognises that the government has to intervene, and it has to intervene in a hard way. 
So that's the context, really. And I think that's important for trying to understand how we've got to where we are today. Um, how has cybersecurity done, though, across those charts? And really, this starts to introduce my model, um, which doesn't seem to have survived contact with moving from uh, Mac to uh, Windows. Um, these are two iterations of my model, and all my model really talks about is I define these as effects spaces. And those faces are defined by the nature of the effects that take place within them. Um, and on the right-hand model to you, three effect spaces, passive cyber defense, active cyber defense, and offensive cyber. And I define these in terms of the nature of the effect, whether that's a hard effect or whether it's a soft effect. Hard effect being very deliberate, very focused, usually very short-term. A soft effect I define in terms of being continuous and, and widespread. And then really in terms of is it indirect or direct in terms of the adversary. If it's direct, it's probably hitting the adversary very hard in the physical sense, taking out one of their systems, maybe destroying one of their systems. If it's indirect, it may be educating all of us to recognise that actually somebody's trying to steal our password. Um, the two lines really that, that are on there, uh, let me just read to you how I define these terms first of all. It's probably uh, a good thing to do. So I define, first of all, passive cyber effect, passive cyber defence as being lawful and critically non-cyber effects that are delivered within the state actor's cyber domain of influence. So he is delivering that effect with effect, those effects within his own cyberspace. And they range really from education, I've talked about standardisation, regulation, <coughs> to collaboration, setting up uh, networks, um, and working and international allies in that. Active cyber defence, and I am defining this in a UK sense, not in the American sense, um, relates to um, lawful cyber effects that are delivered within an actor's own CDI through to get direct engagement with the adversary. What I'm talking about here is technical, primarily technical activities that engage with the actions of the adversary um, once again within the state cyber domain of influence. So DNS blocking, the blocking of websites, for example, the blocking of email traffic uh, into your own cyber domain, I would class in that. Um, and effectively, in terms of the, the, the right-hand diagram, offensive cyber is, I define as, as lawful cyber effects delivered within an adversary's cyber domain of interest. So I am defining these as much upon the geography in terms of whose domain of interest they occur in as, as the effects itself. What I'm suggesting is that until probably 2015, the model that comes out of looking at national cyber security strategies and literature is this one. And I've read there are when I actually did my research into this, there were 81 different national cybersecurity strategies uh, issued, um, and I've read 75 of them, the ones that were in English or had English equivalency. And by going through them, that is effectively the model. And that is the TEL, as it says, there's a technical engagement line, so it's moving from nothing to do with cyber to doing with cyber, and this is the domain line. What you also discover, though, when you look back and you go back beyond 
cybersecurity strategies and developed really from, and I did it from the 1990s onwards, there was a parallel system, and to many in the room, this will be familiar. And this was going on not in the open space, which is where this model sits, but in the covert space or secret space. This is what intelligence agencies and national security agencies, not with the large letters at the front of that, had been doing. And they had been conducting operations in cyberspace through these three expect spaces. Computer network defense, defending their own systems. Computer network attack, getting rid of the adversary's systems, putting it crudely. And computer network exploitation, exploiting what is on the adversary's system. And I think really um, until probably 2015, that is, what, that, is a, that is a state of play in terms of how you can model national cybersecurity strategies. What I'm saying is when the Brits, when the UK released its 2015 strategy, it actually, and this is yet, I have not seen this stated as such publicly, it was stated by two or three people I interviewed, this is the model they created. They interjected in that model a fourth effect space, counter cyber. And really what this allows them to do is to operate and conduct all those great activities that we see associated in, offensive, in the offensive cyber domain outside of conflict. And what, the, and what the CAL here does really is it separates <coughs> offensive cyber that is done in peacetime from offensive cyber that is done in wartime. And what that means is it's done under a totally different set of rules, regulations, and legislation. Activities in this area here are now governed by the Law of Armed Conflict, Geneva Convention, and other policies related to um, fighting wars. This is all about legislation that is to do with law enforcement and crime, anti-crime, and protecting the state. The other two effect spaces stay the same. They have, of course, developed. Um, but that, I think, is the model that the UK put forward in 2015. It is very much the model that the Australians have just released in their latest uh, national cybersecurity strategy. It is the model the, I think the New Zealanders will put out. Um, and I also believe it's a model that the Americans will develop and take forward. Um, and I'm, un I'm unclear as to where we are with the US cybersecurity strategy in terms of whether it's been agreed or, or, or whatever. Um, it also, though, reflects the French model and to some extent the German model as well as they're developing it. Um, so how do I operationalise it? And I'll make a few points here, really. When states undertake their cybersecurity strategies, and I'll borrow this really some, some work that Richard Hartnett did to give credit to him and, and some discussions we had on this, it's through campaigns. At the strategic level, states achieve their intent in cyberspace through a series of effects, not just one effect. These campaigns are constructed through the delivery of cybersecurity effects themselves. But like cyber domains of interest, these campaigns are unique. Everyone is different. And they themselves are driv driven by the intent and the context of the state and the domain in which they're being played into. And the effects flow between the state and the adversaries side of the domain of interest continuously, as we've already shown. Um, 
I was talking to Rob before before we came in. I sort of had a cold <laughs> in the last few days of last week in a dark room, trying to pull this together. And it's it's these effects. This taxonomy comes from national cybersecurity strategies. It comes from um, policy documents, uh, primarily those in English and well, almost well, exclusively those in English. I think um, maybe I could have read the Spanish. Um, <clears throat> but apart from that. Um, and it also comes from reporting on actual cyber events. So what I've tried to do is analyse all these three, three uh, sources and say, okay, when you boil it down in each of my four effect spaces, what do they actually seek to achieve? And in some of them, and many of them you'll see, I end up with second-order effects that are duplicated. The point I want to make, though, is that whilst they are duplicated in terms of the effect that they achieve, the means and the methods to do it are very different. So the means and the methods effect to detect in an offensive cyber posture, hacking in, hard hacking in, and detecting in a uh, passive cyber defense uh, situation where it may well be getting you, the user, to recognize something is wrong, are very different. But the overall effect, the final effect, the final output we're seeking to achieve is the same. Um, so this is how I try to graphically operationalize my model um, and show it as a flow. I also use this diagram both to explain the model and also just to talk about time frames because I think that's also something that's forgotten. So you have a cybersecurity strategy here, which moves into a cyber domain of interest for the state. As I say, let's take for this example, it's a malicious actor. And what the state is trying to do is through its full effect spaces, try and change what is happening in that cyber domain of interest, so it once again achieves its zone of security. It's stable and secure. And of course, that then feeds back to a feedback loop into its cybersecurity strategy and subsequent policy. And really what I'm saying is that for passive cyber defense, it's continuous and it's delivered at scale. Educating people about the threats and the challenges is something that is ongoing and it's wide. In many ways, although in the technical space, as opposed to, to the non-cyber space, active cyber defense, particularly in terms of the UK's active cyber defense program, um, meets that requirement as well. Whereas both of these, on the offensive side, so operating and when you're operating in the adversary's domain of interest, are both short-term and focused. They are undertaken to deliver a specific effect. Um, <clears throat> but what also I want to try and show with this model is that it is all these effects operating in the domain that lead to the re-establishment of, of, of security. So I take two examples. I take Daesh cyber campaign um, primarily because it's interesting that it covers the full spectrum from passive cyber defense all the way through to offensive cyber. Um, don't worry too much about whether that is complete in terms of all the actors, the agents that should be in there, or what I'm trying to show that that it is not just one part, it's not just government agents that are involved in terms of the UK's Daesh CDI. And this is 
how the UK government see the cyber domain in which they are operating in their conflict with Daesh. And this is Daesh's cyber domain of interest. And that's how they see the cyber domain that they are operating in, in terms of trying to cause an effect here. And I think in that, in that terms, that then starts to illustrate how these are different perspectives. Um, and in, in terms of uh, the model and how it's put together. Um, let me just have a quick look at this. Um, in terms of context, really, um, in terms of the effects, the operational effects, the offensive cyber effects you can look at, um, and actually it's gone to the next slide. So putting this into the next slide, I'm really looking at the material that's available you can see these effects being played out. So in the offensive space, and perhaps typified most of all by the takedown of the UK national in 2015, Junid Hussain, known by trick by American, uh, by American munitions in Iraq, really typifies where you can go in this space. And in order to do that, um, the information would suggest that there was a lot of uh, detection carried out on Daesh's networks. Um, they were deceived in that there was corruption of data undertaken on Daesh's networks that set up, uh, was contributing to him being taken out. At the other end of the scale, you have the work done by the counter-extremist organisations within the UK. And in many ways, this passive cyber defence piece was all about uh, mitigating Daesh's influence operations. And that was about, first of all, regulating it, putting some laws through Parliament in terms of what is meant by, uh, <coughs> what was meant at the time by propaganda and how that could be met. Educating, educating in schools, educating in that to, to get people to recognise it and do something about it. Collaborating with the public and private sector, Influencing the international domain to do something about it and, uh, and, and, and act, um, and partnershiping with, with international allies in terms of delivering um, an outcome. In this space, it was all about disrupting their flow of, of propaganda and, in fact, their messaging to sympathisers in the UK, um, doing it by blocking by legal removing of websites, for example, going down, going to a website supplier, hosting supplier, and saying, this, uh, this website is hosting propaganda, please take it down. Influencing again. And in, in all of these, whilst I've sort of talked about influencing the international community to do things, actually, the influencing is also being played back to Daesh. It's showing Daesh that actually operating within the UK side domain of interest is difficult and challenging, and perhaps you might want to go and do it somewhere else. Um, and, and rather cynically, uh, that ties in with comments that, and this has been in the press, um, in, in, in the last director of GCHQ, uh, made the comment that actually one of the fundamental pillars of the UK strategy is to make the UK a hard target, or a hard side of the main interest operating, so the adversary goes somewhere else. And that's influence. That's playing influence back. Um, my second example really is now getting totally out of, of, of that sort of military space, getting out of that conflict space, and getting out of the threat space in terms of physical threat. 
And really, this is about how the UK is looking at protecting its brand, um, which brings a unique set of challenges to it. Um, in some ways, the same actors, but they play different roles and they have different importance within that. Um, I've used cybercrime just to tie it down to a particular cyber domain of interest. You could move it wider than that. And this one, though, of course, I've put the international judicial system in there because actually a cyber criminal does show concern about it and will put his operations in areas where perhaps there is not the judicial oversight and uh, control. But fundamentally, once again, it's all about delivering effect from here into here to mitigate that. Um, these, ones, these are the effects that I, I've identified by looking at how it's done from the material release. Um, you will notice nothing in here. I would suggest in this situation that we are not at a state of war with any cyber criminal group. Um, even some of the APTs that are often uh, noted as operating in this space. Um, but effectively, it's all about counter-cyber. So one of the other case studies that I narrowed down is the takedown in 2015 of the Avalanche criminal network, uh, which was responsible for the distribution, I think, of 17 very uh, profitable uh, streams of malware on a global basis. Um, and that was, within the counter cyberspace, that was taken down by a group of 30 different nations operating through Europol um, to coordinate it. And that quite clearly involved a lot of operating on the Avalanche network's own networks within their own cyber domain for intelligence purposes to degrade their capabilities. Um, I think in one of the uh, US court hearings that, that actually is where I got a lot of my information from for Avalanche, um, they signed off on literally destroying some of their servers in situ because they, that was more effective than trying to seize them. But once again, it's time to show that all of these, the four space, three spaces in this case, play a role in it. Um, let's talk about emergent properties. And really, I've shown you two case studies of the models in action and how, and how it works. Um, what can you say are the, in terms of what comes out of it, the properties that you can identify with the agents working together? I think agent duality. Um, and I mean that in terms of that some of the agents are both <coughs> providers of security and targets, the state obviously, but a lot of the private sector fits into that domain. Telecommunications companies, for example, um, are frequently targets, but also they are, play a very important role in the protection. Um, BT, for example, is a very strong pillar of the UK's active cyber defence programme. Um, and also has established relationships with Interpol in terms of working partnerships and collaboration, which shows an interesting dynamic in terms of the private sector and its relationship to, to, to an organisation like that. I think I would suggest in the model, and what I've taken out of it really, is that there's something about centralised direction but multi-agent delivery. Um, you're not, this is not about one agent doing it, it's not even a group of agents per se, it's multi-agent delivery across a number of spaces. Um, I think there's collective in interdependence. Um, and what I'm trying to get across with that is 
that effects delivered through one of my four spaces have consequences elsewhere. They do not just go across and read directly across, but they create in themselves second and third order consequences. Um, integrated intervention um, is really getting to the fact that this is a campaign. And it needs to be looked at campaigns and you need to use all the, all the um, effect spaces. Reinforcing action, I think it's quite obvious uh, in terms of the fact that effects must be delivered to reinforce other effects on a continuous basis. Uh, the balance is dynamic in that the balance itself, so this idea of this zone of security is not static. It changes. And it changes in, in, in terms of the effects that are put within the cyber domains of interest, and it also changes as the intent and the context of the, uh, the actor and the agent change. Um, dynamic evolution, it's, okay, the whole of the model is constantly evolving. Um, and also, it's a rather crude one really, I'm trying to get to the point that local action, that very specific actions, can have truly global effects in this space. Um, why are these important though? Because I think they then provide you a framework both for developing cybersecurity strategies, and one of the things is I think this work is scalable. Um, it also gives you a framework to judge cybersecurity strategies, not based upon input, but on output. Um, so that's, that's, that's the UK model. What did the UK actually do? Um, you can read these. I think it, they self-explanatory in many ways. The first one is all about bringing together the public and the secret domains. When I was interviewing people, it was of interest to note that lots of people talk about good things going on in the open cyberspace and bad things going on in the secret state of the cyberspace, um, including sort of a number who, who had worked within, within the secret state. Um, this is all about focus and focusing the strategy, um, which is a problem that other states have got. Um, the US has got it. Interestingly enough, Australia is taking a line following, in some ways, the NCSC model um, of, of providing focus through a single actor, agent. Um, and I think this is really important. That the UK government made a decision that the ownership of the problem was in one space. Okay, so it was not spread between agencies who would act, that's their role, uh, but they would do so um, um, uh, sort of with guidance. Um, in real terms, I've said many of these, remove the barrier between the two, two traditional national strategy models. Um, integrated offensive cyber as a policy option. Uh, offensive cyber in terms of using the capabilities that that effect space offers to deliver. It was enabled by the uh, establishment of the NCSC um, and it was formalised in the 2016 strategy. Um, what are my conclusions? I think the UK did do something different in its last cybersecurity strategy. And I think we're seeing that in the way that debates are going on in other parliaments about should they follow the model. Um, I think it represents a much more realistic description of what is actually going on 
in the cyber security world from a strategic and operational level perspective. Um, I think the model is applicable to different cybersecurity challenges and theoretical models. Interesting enough, I'm using my model to actually write a cyber campaign as an adversary for some work that I'm doing with NATO, where I'm playing red, a cyber attacker. But I'm going to use the model and work out how that model allows you to create physical, uh, virtual, and cognitive effects through the different effect spaces. Um, and importantly for me, I think one of the aims I wanted to do something that may or may not act as an analytical tool to support policy and planning process. I want what I do to be meaningful and hopefully not sit on the shelf. And that's it. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much.